Back in November, Paul Hicks asked if we could do a Fire and Water Records show on the band Midnight Oil. And I said, yeah, sure. That's it. That's the whole introduction. I don't have a long personal connection to this band. I'd heard the name Midnight Oil, but only within the past couple of years, honestly. So what Paul was suggesting was actually more of an opportunity to discover a well-established artist that I was totally unfamiliar with. And that excited me because it gave me the opportunity to try something different with this show. So... Welcome to Fire and Water Records, the music anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me to discuss Midnight Oil is the other pride of Australia, the co-host of DCOCD Cast, The Gary Show, and Waiting for Doom. Please welcome my friend, Paul Hicks. What's up, Paul? Hey, about time you had some hair metal on this show. <laughs> yeah. That's a joke, because um, the lead singer of Midnight Oil is probably the most famous bald man in Australia, so... There you I, go. I like I, I the first time I watched one of their their videos after you suggested this, I went to YouTube and I looked him up, and he's he's not just. I mean, there are lots of famous people with shaved heads and everything like that, but he has a particular bone structure about his head. And I kept going to the, the comic book lover me. I kept on thinking of the Absorbing Man from Marvel Comics, Crusher Creel, who has a particularly yeah. pointed bald head. Yeah. <laughs> he is a very tall, very skinny, very bald man. I mean, he, he doesn't have eyebrows as far as I can tell either. Mm. Anyway, we're we're coming at this subject from two very different places. I am a novice. I have only been listening to Midnight Oil for essentially three months. You gave me a, a sort of roadmap for songs and albums to start with, and from there, over time, I came up with five songs that I'm going to be discussing later on. But you're a fan, and you're coming from this from, with much more authority on the band's history and their discography. So give us your backstory with Midnight Oil. How and when did your fandom arise? And what should the listeners of this show know about Midnight Oil before we dive into our Ooh. playlists? <laughs> okay, well, the band has been around for 45 years, yeah. <laughs> um, and when I discovered them, they were the music that um, my friend's cool brothers listened to. So, um, you know, you, you go to, you know, I was, you know, born in the late 60s, so you'd go to a friend's house and you'd start looking through their record collection, you know, you and your mate, and then you go, oh, what's what's this, Led Zeppelin, what's what's this? And um, I remember seeing Midnight Oil covers and thinking, oh, these look interesting. So this was in the early days of the band where they probably only had about two or three albums out. Um, and you'd listen to things because you didn't have the internet, you didn't have uh, any video games or anything like that. So they were the cool music. And, um, you know, they were too cool for my house. Like we had um, ABBA albums in my house. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. hey, was, <laughs> was Jimmy you know Barnes about... big in your house? Because my brother wanted me to ask you about Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, not in my house. But, yeah, Jimmy Barnes was certainly a, a mainstay of Australian music, um, a famous Scotsman who lives in Australia who um, headlined Midnight Oil, and he has an absolutely incredible voice. But that's a, that's probably another podcast. Um, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Midnight Oil. Now, 
If you do not like social justice warriors and people who sing about issues, Minayol is not the band for you because they barely sing about anything that isn't an issue. Um, now, you listen to a lot of music and go, oh, this song's about love or this song's about nothing or this song is about a clever rhyme and they just put lyrics to it. Midnight Oil are always singing about something that they're passionate about and something that makes them angry. And I think they... Um, they activated a whole generation of Australians to, you know, because they are constantly singing about injustice and things that are wrong in the world and things that are wrong in Australian society. Um, and I think, you know, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who got active in Greenpeace who wasn't a Midnight Oil fan <laughs> at, at some point because they sang about it all. So um, they are social justice warrior as fuck, if that is uh, <laughs> acceptable. The other thing is um, they... If they weren't so rocking hard, they would be hippies. Like, they, you know, they are really singing about things that concern people and or concern them and the world. And they want to make the world a better place. And they're not sure how to do it. But they do know they have a very powerful platform. And, you know, they, during, uh, I think it was the 90s, they rocked up in front of Exxon and did a, um, an impromptu concert about the oil spill, um, because they were so angry about it, and just to use their use their notoriety to draw attention to things, and that's what they've always done. So um, they are a band that has probably done more um, charity concerts than any band I've ever heard of. Uh, you know, I've seen them a few times, and two of those were charity concerts. Um, yeah, and they're still doing it today. Like they literally released an album last November. Um, and it was all to bring attention to uh, indigenous issues in the country. So, yeah. yeah. So, but as far as their songs go, I mean, this was this was interesting because I, I know so many of their songs, and I probably discovered them when I was around about thirteen or fourteen, um, and they were really edgy. But over the years, you know, you think about their songs, and they they are damn good songs. Like they are really, really good songs. But if you dig into the, what these songs are about, there is so much meat on the bone on them. Like, the, uh, you know, there's real life stuff behind it all. And it's, you know, and it's all wrapped up in this fantastic, you know, rocking package that, you know, mm -hmm. as a band, they are so cohesive. Like, uh, you listen to some bands and you think, okay, the lead singer is fantastic in this band and the rest of the band are just a band. Mm -hmm. um, whereas Midnight Oil, you know, they sound like they've got the best drummer in the universe. They've got the best backing vocals in the universe. They've got the best guitarist, the best keyboards, the best lead singer. Like, they, they feel like everything is just the best and it all works together really well and all of it sounds essential. And they've had an incredible, uh, incredibly stable lineup over the years. Like they've hardly had any changes. Right. Um, one of the members died late last year, so you know mm -hmm. that shows how long they've been around. Yeah, but a band that's been around, you know, forty-five years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it certainly shaped my life. And I think they've become my favourite band. Like when I was younger, I liked other bands, but. Um, you know, the older I get, the more I think Midnight Oil have earned it. Like, they are more worthy of being my favourite band than any other band in the in the world. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's probably an, uh, a shot at what are they about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's great. And I, I mean, I pretty much it, – it's funny because I, I'm nodding my head and agreeing with everything you've said. But I feel like, I, I, you know, I've discovered all of these things in very rapid succession just since you kind of brought them up. Because um, as we were talking about it, you you know, you threw out this one as a topic and I kind of said, I, I'm not really familiar with this band, but it might be an interesting, you know, project to, to sort of see if, you know, something that I've never listened to, if this would be a good thing to kind of as, as, a, as a form of discovery and see if this would make a good episode. And you gave me a list of four or five songs. 
and he said, check these out, and if they don't hook you, <laughs> cut bait, drop it. Like, this isn't going to work. Um, so I listened to those songs, and I was like, all right, cool. And then from there, I jumped into, I listened to Essential Oils, like their their greatest hits. And then I started kind of like yeah. spiraling out and going through their, their more popular albums and, and looking for other deep cuts and things like that. Um, but with that process, yeah, right away, like, I mean, within the first couple of songs, like, okay, so this is like, okay, they're talking about Syria, they're talking about politics, they're talking about the indigenous issues, they're, okay, really getting, all right, next song, okay, kind of the same, all right, I was like, this is a really, this, this is a band that puts their, you know, their, wears their politics on their, on their sleeve and really puts it out, and I, I was like thinking about like U2, which is another more po- very famous band that kind of does this, and then as I'm listening to it, I was like, oh, the next song, this is still about this, and I'm <laughs> I'm like listening to their entire greatest hits. I was like, do they do they do like breakup songs? <laughs> like I was like, is, is like, does this guy ever sing about like you know just having a crush on a girl or sex or something like that? I was like, anything like no. I was like, no. These are literally every song is about an issue. So yeah, when you're like they're the, they're the band for the social justice warriors, and if you're not if you can't meet them, they're yeah. <laughs> there's not a lot. There's not much else to grab onto other than what you mentioned, which was the music is really, really good. And that was a thing that kind of like surprised me because I mean, like I, I was like, I was reading up on them. I was like, okay, they had some American hits in the eighties. And I was like, I never saw them on MTV. Like where, how did this band just look? It was never on my radar. And I'm like looking at things that they've been compared to. And my initial thoughts, just listening to them, I was hearing crosses between early REM from like their first album, like Murmur, up through like Documents, some like REM in the '80s, and then also a little bit of like other kinds of like '80s music, like like Crowded House, which is sort of a half Australian band. The, yeah, the more I listen to, like, uh, yeah, I just I found like musically, it's just it's a really tight band. Um, and I think you you mentioned that you you encouraged me to listen or watch some of their videos and their live videos too, and I did that. And I I checked out some of their live performances on YouTube, and they yeah the the band is it's 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 tight. They work really well together. You mentioned the drummer Rob Hurst. He's a great drummer. That was often one of the first mm. things I noticed in these songs. Um, was just like you know the the consistency with like the drum and rhythm uh, part of the band. So, yeah, very. This is very cool. This was a fun project to discover, and I, I've enjoyed this. So, yeah, I guess I guess we can probably from there go on to the the songs that made our list. Um, I've got five. You got six. So you're gonna you're gonna kick us off. What is the first song that you want us to hear? Uh, this is from their third album, which was 1981, uh, when I was 13 years old. And this is Don't Want to Be the One. And uh, yeah, you'll hear the drumming straight away. So let's have a listen. I'm an innocent victim, I'm just like you. I've been home units with the brick wall view. I can't believe the perfect family's on my color TV. If I don't make it to the top, it'll never bother me. And I don't want to be the one. And I don't want to be the one. Wow, 
um, now this is uh, an onslaught of rock and roll. This one, um, Australia is famous for guitar-based rock in the eighties, and um, yeah, but this one it has Dracula on keyboards. Did you notice that? <laughs> just it sounds like a Hammond organ or a you know mm-hmm. really old Wurlitzer or something, and it's just being played till it breaks. It sounds like um, it's an absolute belter of a song, isn't it? Um, and this was the first song of theirs that I liked, and. You know, it became a mainstay of Australian radio. Like, you would hear this one all the time on the radio, on, you know, rock and roll radio. There's so much elements of it. It's just amazing, like the drumming, um, you know, the backing, do-do-do-do, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it features one of the things that uh, we love Peter Garrett for, which is completely losing all grasp of English while you're singing and just going completely <laughs> incoherent. Um, and, you know, that is a feature of Benidorm and not a bug. So uh, you know, one of the things that you delight in seeing them live is he gets to the bit where he just loses all control of his language skills and just sort of screams. Um, and, you know, every time you see him live, it's different. And it's like, oh, wow, that's <laughs> this time he did that. Um, and one time I think he said, the word fuck but it took like a minute to say it and had a great big breath in the middle of it so uh, <laughs> yeah but I mean this is a really it's a fun song I don't think there's much deep about this it's basically saying I don't want to be the person who has to you know stand up or be different or you know is it about avoiding fame or a spotlight or is it about uh, ducking the obligations of your you know of having a platform I don't know but um, lyrically it's not much to it but it's just it just rocks. What do you think of this one? I, I like this one a lot, actually. I was, I was glad that you had this one. Um, for for some reason, the album that this is on, Place Without a Postcard, isn't on Amazon Music or something like that, which is where oh. I, I stream most of my music. So I only heard this one on the Greatest Hits collection. But I, I was looking it up, and I guess it's the first track on Place Without a Postcard. And I think it's just it's a great lead-off track. I'm actually really glad that it's the first song that you picked, because I think as the intro to an album, this one just has like a great lead in it's just it's a great way to like kick it off and just immerse you into their sound uh it's very catchy with the the vocal hook and everything like that it's it's a fun it's a it's a cool like early kind of like punk song i do love the drums um this clearly from their era era before they were going to get political about everything um so it's still more of a punk being kind of like angry possibly just for being angry because of you know other other kind of social pressures instead of like more worldly things but it's ah, no it's a good one i, I dig the song excellent yeah and w- w- what which one did you pick for the next so uh, mine which was um the the first one that you told me to listen to and i pro- I, w- I would venture to say probably their their biggest hit um in terms of uh, as an international hit this is the song Beds Are Burning. The time has come
All right, first track on the album, Diesel and Dust, from 1987. It was the second single released off the album. Biggest single, the chart-topping number one in a few countries, in the top ten and a few others, went as high as number 17 in the United States, and it also won a couple of awards, and yet I had never heard it until recently. Um, now, I want to mention... That's amazing. I just I, don't know how that happened. So, so, so check this out. Like, I, I, I must have been a boy in a bubble or something like that. I don't listen to the radio, like AM, FM radio, um, for decades. I, I just, I, I, I've always been listening to like CDs or then MP3s. I stream music now and podcasts. I always have earbuds in my car. I'm always listening to something, but it's curated by me. It's whatever I want to listen to. When I'm in my car, I sync it to my phone, and that, if for some reason that doesn't work, like there's like a signal disruption or something, the car is the only place where I have a functioning CD player now, so I've got a few CDs there that I'll just like jam in there if I'm going somewhere for a while. The only time that doesn't happen where I might just listen to the radio is if I'm driving someplace where realistically I could walk. Like if I have to go down the hill to the gas station or if I'm going to the grocery store that's like two minutes away or something like that. So I say all of that to kind of like stress the fact that in the past four months, I've listened to maybe 12 minutes of FM radio music in my car. And out of that 12 minutes, I have heard this song twice. (laughs) And I had never heard it before. Not since we started talking about doing a, a Midnight Oil podcast, then they started playing In My World Outside. And it's like, how did this happen? How is this? It's just such a weird thing. It's like when you learn a word and then you suddenly start hearing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, and it, it's like, was I always hearing this word and just never noticed? Or, you know, was it always, were they always on the radio and I never noticed when I was out in the shops or anything? So Yeah, uh, yeah for all I, I know. know, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway... Uh, this song sort of famously was written after the band did a tour in the Outback and they saw basically the terrible living conditions that Aboriginal tribes and people had to live in, facing poverty, disease, malnutrition, all because they'd been forcibly removed from their previous lands. And so the song is all about that and is really in your face, really kind of like their most, well, sort of overtly one of their most, I shouldn't say it is their most because so many of them are. Um, but it's in, in terms their of, top 30. Yeah, 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 top 30 political songs. But, um, it is definitely, it, like, I, I hear the commercial success in this. It's just a great recording, a great track. It's catchy, it's uh, aggressive, um, and it's, yeah, it's just a good one. So I picked this one because of the other sort of uh, ways that it was intruding into my life, but it's also just I understand why this would be their po- most popular hit because it is really, really good, and it's got a, a message, it's got an attitude about it, kind of strut, and I like it. Yeah, this was I think yeah, this was probably um, the first one that I listened to when you gave me the list. <laughs> when I heard this one, I was like, okay, this is what this is going to be about. Okay, this is kind of going to be what this this uh, whole exploration of this band is going to be like. This is going to be interesting. So yeah, this one. Um Diesel and Dust is basically meant, you know, people uh, readily acknowledge it as their best ever album. Um, so the, they did a, some music journalists put together a list of the top um, Australian albums ever, and this was the number one album. But it's, it's not my favourite, and I think that's because I, the way I came to the band was, um, it, <laughs> this is a really weird thing. You, do you have, like, 
yeah, a mental dividing line with bands where you go, this is early stuff and this is later stuff. Do you have that with bands that you've, you know, grown up with? Yeah, usually, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, in my head, this is the dividing line where they became, you know, it's later. And I think that's because this came out in 1987. I'd left school. I, w- I had a job. I was working full time. I was, you know, buying albums with my own money. Um, and I feel like, you know, this is one that, uh, you know, it marked a new stage for them as far as, you know, production, profession, professional sound and, um, you know, everything after this you know, to me, is later oils, which is insane because this is 33 years ago <laughs> this album came out. Yeah, but in my head, if I hear a song from this album or anything after it, you know, that's late oils to me and everything else is early oils. And, I, you know, um, so yeah, so that's where I'm at with this one. Uh, I'm so old, I'm sorry. But yeah, that, I, does, I mean, it, does, uh, does later oils, is there, does it feel like inferior or is it just, does it, I mean, is there more of a, a judgment placed on the quality of the song, of the songwriting or the music, or is it just your sort of personal history and your taste because you were at a different place in your life at the time? Yeah, it's probably a bit of that. Um, I think the the production is a bit more polished on later oils, and I think they just seem a, a little less consumed by rage in mm. their songs on later <laughs> oils, whereas on the early stuff, it's like you know they were just you know so overcome with what they're trying to sing about that it's just you know they're literally screaming at times they were still young um, and hungry yeah but i mean this song has the best driving beat um you know and it it just goes through there and you know the chorus how can we dance when our earth is turning how do we sleep where our beds are burning you know it's like how can we be complacent how can we settle for what's happened to you know um the original owners of this country, you know, Australia. And you can apply this globally to any country. But, um, you know, um, one thing you notice in Minot All Songs is they put in place names um, all the time. Like, they are so parochial about Australia. Mm. Um, and it's unapologetic. You know, they're not trying to do global music or music that would be, you know, they are not trying to write a hit that could be a hit in, you know, Europe or America. They are just singing about their country and it's filled with names of places i've never heard of and never been (laughs) so you know and they've been doing that you know there's so many songs where they do that but um yeah this is you know a great song you know like without it's just great it's so good all right what is the next song on your list all right this is short memory this is from uh 10 9 8 7 6 5 2 1 Six, five, three, two, one. I forgot a few numbers. Um, yeah, called Ten to One, affectionately by Australians. Came out in 1982, and to me, this is the Oil album. Like this is the album that tells me everything about the band. Um, and you know, it's it's a bit like we didn't start the fire of colonial atrocities. So yeah, let's have a listen. Conquistador of Mexico, the Zulu and the Navajo. Belgians in the Congo, short memory. Plantation in Virginia, the Raj in British India, the deadline in South Africa, short memory. The story of El Salvador, the silence of Hiroshima. Destruction of Cambodia, short memory.
Now this one, I don't. It's not overtly catchy as such, and it, it has this sort of feel of exotic menace. Um, it's about bringing your colonial fights to other countries and basically making a mess. Um, so it's a bit of a list of shame. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, but. It's really powerful, and the way it builds and builds and builds, and at the end, it just, you know, you start talking, oh, this song is sort of this pace, and by the end, um, just the full orchestration coming in and the sort of synthesizers are sounding like sirens, and it just, it's so big by the end, and... um and then Peter Garrett starts shouting about, you know, reading the history books, and the same things happen again and again. Um, so, you know, it's saying... If you're doing these horrible things in the world, you've got to have a short memory to keep doing them. And we do have a short memory because we're still doing the same things over and over in different countries. You know, you know, we'll invade a country for oil. We'll invade the country for gold or diamonds or, yeah, it's uh, – what, what do you think about this one? I almost put this one on my list. Uh, I, I, I like this one a lot, actually. Like, like after listening to a couple of the, the full albums and the greatest hits and some others, um, I made a, a playlist of about fifteen or sixteen songs, um, and knowing that that I whittled it down to my five. And of the six that you picked, five of them were on my list too. So I think we had a lot of overlap. Uh-huh. Um, this was one of this was one of the last ones that I, that I cut from my list because um, I, I do like the song. And you're right. I, I like like the, the the air of menace about it. I really like the way you describe that because I felt I feel like the build up song this this I think could be a particularly powerful song live. Um and I haven't watched a live one of this one. But I think just kinda of like the the slow build because of just kinda of like the drum and bass and the sort of rhythm that's kinda of like lulling you in as Peter Garrett's going through his like you know, his his grocery list of all of the people and all of the offenders and all of the atrocities and stuff like that. Um and it, it is a little poetic cadence. Um, and then in the middle, it kind of breaks down and you get some guitar and some piano with that rhythm still in the background. And it's really, it's yeah, really you cool there's hypnotic like a, almost. There's like a call, there's like a call and response between the guitar and the piano. Like mm-hmm. they're doing things back and forwards in reaction to each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on then. My next song uh, is Forgotten Years. You were the sins of the father I visited upon the sun Hearts have been hard Hands have been clenched into fists too long Our sons need never be soldiers Our daughters will never need guns These are the years between These are the years that were hard fought and won Now contracts torn at the edges Old signatures stained with tears Seasons of war and grace These should not be forgotten years Still it aches like tetanus It reeks of politics How many dreams remain? This is a feeling to strive to contain The hardest years, the darkest years The roaring years, the fallen years Second single off of Blue Sky Mining, which was an album from 1990, so you probably ignored this one. This is way later, Oils. 
Uh, <laughs> um, no, this is one of my favourite albums, and it's only 30 years ago, just a mere 30 years ago. <laughs> well, tip our hand, because we're going to have more songs from this. I think this is my favourite of their albums that I've listened to. I, I really like this whole album. There's a lot of we we've got more songs from this album on our list, and there was a couple of others that didn't make my list. But of the of that, I think right now this is probably my favorite Midnight Oil song. Will that last? I don't know. I, I like this one. Um, uh, apparently, from what I was able to look up, it was inspired by the drummer Rob Hurst, his his grandfather and his father, their accounts of war. Um, kind of just in general the horrors of war and the hopes that new generations will find ways of avoiding it. Uh, I, I really like the chorus and the, the this idea of like the hardest years and the darkest years. There's times of strife and suffering and death. These shouldn't be forgotten or ignored, and you can't forget the price of peace. But he's not singing it with a sort of glorification of war in mind. It's a, it's a call to remember the people who suffered during these wars and in hopes that we can learn from this pain and be better. Um, and also just the fact that he uses the word tetanus in the song. Oh, it's so, it's so vivid. It aches like tetanus. And it's yeah. just, you know, it's just this, you know, terrible disease under the surface. <laughs> Yeah, the repetitive, you know, call to war that we can go back to war. Yeah, um, I I wondered about how you'd feel about this one because to me this one seems you know, sort of very Australian. Like Australia has been a very lucky country as far as you know we have participated in wars, but they haven't been our wars as such. You know, we've um, you know apart from World War One and Two, like we you know we lost a lot of people in those wars, but they weren't. Um, the wars since then haven't been ours particularly. You know, we we did send people to Vietnam, but it wasn't you know a generation that went right. and things like that. So you know, I was I was interested to hear your perspective on you know does this resonate to you as an American as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I had grandfathers who, who, and, and like greater uncles who served. Unfortunately, they kind of died before I was ever really able to talk about them. So. Yeah, I I never heard stories about the war from like all the from the from the, that that those generations that would have served in World War Two or Korea. Um, my grandfather who fought was he was dead before I was born, um, and even like older uncles right. they just I, I mean I was I was too young they passed away. It, there was enough of a a time gap and age gap where I just didn't connect with them. So I've heard other stories. I've done interviews with people who fought in Korea and Vietnam, and I've I've gotten most of those experiences, but it didn't. It wasn't something that was in my family really. Uh, it, it's it's always been a little bit somewhat removed. So. My, you know, the the experience. It's not something that was in the home necessarily that that we had to live with all the time. Um, but mm. yeah, so so my yeah my you know my experiences are much more secondhand and and hearsay. But um, I'm not sure <laughs> how else to describe it. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is this is a song that probably dropped off my playlist over the years, and um, hearing you rank it so high, I, I you know I gave it a real good re-listen is like yeah this is one of their best songs like one of their most commercial accessible songs it's mm-hmm. um you know it because of the maudlin content it's still you know there is elements of joy in it saying we are lucky that you know we're not at war and our, our like our sons need never be soldiers our daughters will never need guns you know so mm-hmm. obviously not american um <laughs> but yeah yeah it, it there is a positivity to it as long as you know we could 
keep in mind what's happened in the past and you know not repeat it um back to short memory for, <laughs> as yep, well so exactly. yeah cool next ne- in line yeah next up yeah <laughs> Next up, now this is the earliest song on my list. Um, this is called "Stand in Line." Um, it's from the album <laughs> 1979's "Head Injuries," which is a fantastic name for an album. Um, and it's a very, very angry song. Um, and yeah, the message in it isn't as sort of refined and focused as you get in their later songs. But um, yeah, but it, it starts off straight away about you know criticizing mining and it's um, so much money in the ground for those who don't deserve it now. Um, but yeah, this is a live um, favorite. Like, uh, there's a great big um, bass break in the middle, and uh, pretty much they do whatever they want in that. And then uh, you get to the end of it, um, and Peter Gabe, uh, Peter Garrett whispers the um, the chorus, and then screams, and that is probably a live highlight like every time he just screams something weirder and weirder and um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway have a listen coming down getting down so much money in the ground for the people who don't deserve it now it's a circus where the clowns as the giant ones disown every bit of something we call home Like one of the things that comes through with Minotaur is a real intricacy to the rhyming and the lyrics, and it's you know they're not doing obvious uh, verses and writing obvious lyrics uh, at this stage of their career. They're you know just singing sort of anything that fits, and uh, yeah, this is one of them. But uh, it's such a rocker, this song. Um, yeah, what are your feelings about it? I read something uh, a review about the album, and one of the reviewers said, you know, Peter Gabriel. Uh, I keep almost saying Peter Gabriel. Uh, they keep saying Peter Garrett finally learned how learned how to enunciate when he's singing in the song. Like you were talking before about how you would just like frequently when he's singing live, he'll just like devolve into not speaking English. He'll just kind of go into like some weird guttural <laughs> tongues, and it sounds like this is the the first album where they could actually understand what he was singing on the song. So. Thought that was good. Yeah, yeah. But it's message- a good. It's a punk rock song. Like this, definitely. It's this feels much more like a song from the late seventies that could have been. To me, nothing about this seems specific to Australia or culture. Like this could have been performed at like CBGBs in New York in nineteen seventy nine by a band opening for the Ramones or the Sex Pistols or something like that. Yeah. This seems like right, right in line with those. Yeah, um, and the chorus, you know, everything's set, everything's fine, you've just got to stand in line. It's, you know, saying, be complacent, know your place, you know, uh, in modern parlance, stay in your lane. Yeah, basically uh, a message from society to just, you know, don't be a troublemaker. So, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, as we know, they've spent their whole career being troublemakers. Right. And, you know, <laughs> Probably spoke a little ways. bit ironically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, that's probably the loudest and angriest song on the list. And, you know, when they do it live, they probably do it, you know, 
the tempo gets faster and faster than it does on this recorded version. So, <laughs> all right, now you picked one of my favorites. All right, good. Then I may, you might actually have more to say about this than I do. So, the next one up is the song "Read About It." The rich get richer, the poor get the richer, the bombs never hit you when you're down so low. Suck up pollution, some evolution, there must be some solution, but I just don't know. The bosses want decisions, the workers need ambitions, there won't be no collisions when they move so slow. Nothing ever happens, nothing really matters, no one ever tells me what am I to know. So what am I to This is the third single from 10987564332. I, I can't count either. So 10 to 1. 10 to 1. Yeah, 10 to 1. Um, I I listened to the song. I liked the song. And then as I was just doing general research, I looked up that the song was targeting, specifically targeting Rupert Murdoch and his media company. So I was mm. like, well, I definitely want to pick that song then because fuck that guy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like, I mean, that, that, really was my sole reason like i just i didn't give it a second thought i was like we got to talk about this then so i i kind of want to throw it back to you i i mean he's clearly he's criticizing sources and framing of information and bias reporting but is there more to the song or or what's what about this song speaks to you to me it, yeah it, it's one of those songs that just gets more and more relevant every day um and you know as we know uh, Rupert Murdoch. I mean, when they wrote this, Rupert Murdoch didn't control everything. He was just uh, one player in the you know uh, media market with um, you know a particular angle on controlling you know things from a political view- point of view. Um, let's talk about him from an Australian point of view. Like he backs um, one particular um, type of government, which is uh, our equivalent of the Republicans, um, and he basically uh, constantly smears the other side uh, in his papers. And he has a monopoly on the papers. He owns 70% of the print media in Australia. Um, There are people who print stickers saying, fuck the Herald Sun and stick them around Melbourne because um, the Herald Sun is, you know, mostly incredibly biased reporting. He owns Sky News. um, So, you know, he doesn't have Fox News in Australia, but he has Sky News, which he's trying to build into the same thing. Um, And... Our prime ministers literally go and meet him and kiss the ring um, before they start their campaigns. And, um, yeah, we had one Labor leader who refused to do that, and he uh, basically got destroyed um, in the election. So, (laughs) yeah. But uh, one of our former prime ministers, Kevin Rudd, has uh, started a campaign to have an inquiry, an independent inquiry, into media bias in Australia. Um, And he just this week did some, you know... um, appearances at that um, lead up to this inquiry and basically said, as a Prime Minister, I was scared of Rupert Murdoch. I was scared of his power over us. I was, you know, scared that um, what I wanted to do wouldn't get through because he controls, you know, what people think um, with his monopoly. And, you know, uh, yeah. And so this song is basically saying... um, the media manipulates things to make you hear what they want you to hear and not the things that are really happening in the world and the things that really matter. And the opening line of this song is one that my wife and I say all the time when we watch the news, and it's the rich get richer, the poor get the picture. So we'll see something on the news and go, oh, the rich get richer, the poor get the picture. It's like, you know, it's one of our standard um, reactions to things. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so sadly, um, Rupert Murdoch isn't dead yet, and he's still controlling the media, and his uh, son, who looks to inherit everything, is probably worse than he is. So, yeah, um, we've got, uh, yeah, yeah. Facebook and Murdoch, uh, what are we going to do? I don't know, but, uh, yeah. But this was, this song, what, it's the uh, 39 years old, and it's still about the same guy who's fucking things up today. Isn't that amazing? That's encouraging. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, just... I mean, oh, this has one of my favorite things is when a song completely stops and then starts again. This is my oh, favorite Oh, yeah, the, the break in the middle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, it's so yeah. good. And, you know, one of my favorite songs. And it, you just want to stomp your feet as you listen to it because it, yeah. And yeah, no, beautiful I, guitaring I, and stuff yeah. as well. Oh. Yeah. I, I do enjoy it. I, I liked it a lot. Um it's funny you mentioned. I I was I read something about. I was reading about Kevin Rudd, and now I can't remember if I read it in a book, if I listened to an audio book, or if I listened to the podcast. And I can't remember what I was hearing about him. But uh, yeah, and ah. his uh, his run and everything, and like the progressive uh, stance, and then when he lost, when he was outed or ousted. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, again, I, I I didn't have anything else to say, just more than what you you said about the song. So I, it was my pick, but it was mostly your song. So. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that would have been the first one I'd picked. If, yeah. Um, Fuck Rupert Murdoch. I think. Uh, yeah. I'll just we'll just say more of that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a bit more political than your other eps. <laughs> have you noticed? <laughs> I, I mean, you yeah, picked, no, you next- picked the band. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, we we could have done another Taylor Swift one, but <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the next song I've picked is Truganini, and this is from 1993's Earth, Sun, and Moon. Okay, so Truganini um, is n- not literally, but is you know figuratively the last Tasmanian Aboriginal. So um, for those of you who have seen a map of a Tasmania, you've got a little um, sort of exclamation point in the bottom. That is Tasmania on the bottom right-hand side of the country. Um, and so being a closed island, there was sort of uh, a program of genocide against the Aboriginals there. And um, yeah, figuratively, she was... I think the last one that the media noted um, at the time. Uh, so it's a heavy song, but it gets very specific about injustices and stuff. But it combines that with um, the sense of you know Australia is a, a, mon- a monarchist country, so we uh, we are you know in word ruled by England. We still have the Union Jack on our flag. Um, we're a Commonwealth country. We get to 
do the Commonwealth Games, which you guys don't get to do. Uh, it's an interesting, it's a very political one I'm talking about because we have had referendums to try and, you know, not be a, a republic anymore and become a, I mean, not be a, a Commonwealth country and become a republic. And they haven't really gone through, so mostly because people don't know what it would be replaced with and we don't want to have something worse like America. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this this song is basically listing a few very specific atrocities that the um, happened under, you know, Australia under Britain's uh, leadership. And um, so Truganini, um, this poor woman, and but Namajira was sort of basically Australia's, Albert Namajira, he was Australia's most famous Indigenous artist. Like he was um, like the Picasso of Australia as far as, you know, uh, his paintings of nature and stuff and became, you know, fate, you know, it's like, when someone has, has this talent, you can't ignore, even though that you know the, you, society wants to put them in their place and stuff. So he became famous, and his paintings were desired, and um, yeah. But he was basically treated really badly, and it ended up um, under arrest for someone broke into his car and stole some alcohol and drank themselves to death, and you know he went to jail for that, which is just ridiculous. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, it's a, it's a sad story, but it's basically saying. There's something wrong in the world with all the stuff about there is a road train going that nowhere and the backbone of the country's broken. And there's all the stuff about movement, like um, we go round and round in debt and the world won't stand still. So I was saying, you know, Australia is just caught in this cycle, but the rest of the world is moving on. And, you know, we can't move on because we're still tied to our colonial you know, colonial heritage that just keeps us locked in place. And, you know, and we can't really say sorry for what the, these things that have happened until we change that about the country. So it's saying, you know, there's not just a, you know, hey, it's good for us to, you know, chart our own destiny. Um, but it's also important that, you know, we reject these things because of what they did in the past. So, yeah. Uh, what, what were your thoughts about this one? Honestly, I didn't, I didn't have many thoughts kind of like about the song other than just I like it. I mean, very, fairly simple. It's a good song. And I think this this comment will be more sort of in general about the band and, and my experiences with Midnight Oil's music as a whole is even to somebody who is not connected to the issues that they speak of and uh, might not have like the, the history or the knowledge of what they're getting to, on a purely superficial level, even if you're just like completely ignorant of what Garrett is singing about or writing about, on a just on a on a sonic, on a melodic level, the music is really damn good. Um, they're just they're good. They're a talented band, and and they're it, it's catchy. Like you said, I mean, the, it goes to the consistency, which is that it's a five piece band. The only turnover they've had is at the position of the bass player. One of them left like in the seventies, uh, and then one of them they, that they they had like through the eighties, and then uh, I, I guess the last one, Bones Hillman, is the guy that they had most recently, and he he just died last year. Um, it's just a really strong band because I like I, when I listen to this song, you know, not having the context for what you've just been describing, I can still say I would listen to that song again. I would hear that again, just kind of like in the background. I would play that just as a piece of music. Um, but stepping away from like once, kind of like immersing, like reading up more on these issues and learning more about the band, I'm just I'm kind of curious. As somebody who loves this band and who you said like they, it's your favorite band, it's the one that you kind of feel the most can do. I mean, are the issues that P- 
Peter Garrett and, and the band brings up are these near and dear to your heart? Do you feel like the the type of Australia that they're singing about is? Do you do you recognize that, or can you reconcile that in your heart? Do you feel that way? Yeah, I, I think they've definitely made me feel like you know we live in a stolen country, and you know Australia is always we've had this thing that we're the lucky country, you know, it's a really good country to live in and everything. And, you know, it's because, you know, someone else suffered so that we would, you know, have a better life. Yeah. Um, and I feel that really strongly now. Like I feel the sense of injustice in our society and the fact that, you know, you, if you dig, you can see what happened. And, you know, there's all these political movements based on, you know, why should we feel guilty about what happened? And, you know, uh, there's whole political parties on the rise who are, you know, holding balance of government with the established parties because, you know, right. they're basically saying, you know, I don't have to be sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah, it, to me, it's, you know, it's a line between, you know, are you a civilized person who acknowledges, you know, how you benefit? You know, have do you feel where your white privilege comes from or you you know, are you just right. in denial and say, you know, I deserve what I have? And, you know, even though, you know, something terrible happened and it may have been p- before my lifetime, it doesn't mean that um, if I continue to benefit from that, I'm still responsible. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, I, I feel very strongly about that. And I, I would say that's definitely because of this band and what they, you know, what they raise. No one else is raising this stuff. And they are, they're always trying to showcase indigenous music and indigenous artists and you know have you heard of the band Yothi Yindi? Yeah, I know I I know the name but I I don't know the music. Yeah. Yeah, well they um in Encino man when Brendan Fraser is um wandering around the house after yeah. he's thawed out and then he starts watching TV um he sees this sort of uh Aboriginal band on the TV and starts dancing to them. That's Yothi Yindi. Okay. And they had a big song called Treaty. But, um, you know, they're a band that me not all discovered. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying, you know, oh, look what we did. You know, they they always were on the lookout for Indigenous artists and wanting to take them on tour with them. And, and you know, they became a, you know, that song was a worldwide smash because of, you know, yeah. Midnight All, you know, basically, hey, hey, check out this music. Check out what these people are doing. So, you know, they they do a lot of that. And we hear what they do, but I bet there's a lot of stuff they're doing behind the scenes that we don't hear about. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just sort of as we've been talking, about, I've I've kind of been thinking like in the back of my head like a, an episode I might do in the future, maybe kind of like an anthology type of thing would be protest songs or or music about like certain sort of topical issues because I've been thinking in terms of like I've been trying to place like is there a midnight oil equivalent in the United States a song that almost exclusively sings about these types of issues. Um, I would and, say Green Day would be the closest. Yeah, I was actually I was thinking something like that. I mean, like and some of their albums. Like I love their their album American Idiot, which is all about uh, the you know the George W. Bush administration um, and some of the stuff they've had for it. Definitely leads to more some of the punk right, but you know certain. I mean, Neil Young had songs about Native American Indians and things like that. Um, even like in the eighties, like John Cougar Mellencamp might have had some. Honestly, I mean, I'm I'm thinking more of kind of like white rock bands and stuff like that. But if we get into hip hop, that's probably where that's Ooh, probably yeah. where the closest alternative the 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 comparison would be. And um, one of possibly my favorite song, individual song from last year. Um, it's a hip hop group called Run the Jewels. And I only just heard them for the first time. They had a song on the teaser trailer for Black Panther in 2018. 
but they came out with an album last year, and there's one song called Walking in the Snow, and it, I, I found, like, lyrically, it's amazing, because the first verse, it, it's two different guys, two different rappers in the group. The first one, he talks about kids in cages and stuff going on down on our southern border, and the second rapper, Killer Mike, he's got a whole, like, verse and a half at the end, and he's talking about the, the instance like the George Floyd murder and, and the all, all of the, the police related violence that led to like the, the protests for racial justice in this past year um, and the the I can't breathe movement and things like that and like those those like kind of like hit me in, in, a, in a really pro- powerful way so I'm, I'm thinking you know the, the, the if the US probably has a midnight oil but it's not a group of white people saying it it's, it's definitely not probably. <laughs> um, unless there might be there might be a, a band of you know people descended from the Cherokee who's that's singing right now that I that I haven't familiarized myself with, but yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, my next song. We're going back to the album Blue Sky Mining that I promised, and this is the song River Runs Red. So you cut all the tall trees down. You poison the sky and the sea. Just little for me You remember the flood and the fall We remember the light on the hill There should be enough for us all But the dollar is driving us still The river runs red Black rain falls, dust in my head The river runs red, black rain falls in my bleeding land Alright, uh... I love the uh, again. I've, I've said this before, but I love the buildup of this song in particular. This one has over a minute before the first verse kicks in, but within that minute, there is like a whole emotional arc that has a guitar intro. It feels like there's it, it's like a prologue to or an overture um, because it just it builds and builds, and then there's the solo, and it kind of like crescendos and kind of like fades in and then the the lyrics the verses start um and, and it might be his most clearly expressive song written about you know the, the his environmental message with the river runs red the bleeding land these are pretty clear and pretty evocative symbols um, and just from the opening verse, you cut all the trees down, you poison the sky and the sea, you've taken what's good from the ground, but you've left precious little for me. I just think this is really, really strong, really clean. The jockeying for position of my second favorite song of theirs. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I think this one is just a, a very clearly defined kind of setting their, um, their, their agenda and what they're speaking to. Yeah, I reckon Johnny Cash would have wanted to cover this. Um, it has that sort of that mourning vibe, you know, the you know the sadness, and it's you know very dark. And I could see him speaking this or hear him speaking this in my head. Yeah, um, I can too. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, this wasn't a song I expected you to pick, um, but yeah, I 
you know, I I understand why having a really good listen to it, and it, it is one of you know. The lyrics. There's nothing subtle about the lyrics, but it's basically saying, you know, you've you've destroyed the world and you never put anything back to make it last for the next generation. And it's, you know, it's just, yeah, it's post-apocalyptic. <laughs> just look, you know, the rivers run red, the black rain falls, yeah. dust in my hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah in one sense, like like yes. the the whole like the opening act, the 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 first salvo, which is just the music, just the build-up of the music and the guitars, feels like this. That that could be. The the collapse the 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 Armageddon point you know where like civilization is ruined and he's just speaking now from that post apocalyptic future just kind of reflecting on where we went wrong yeah and uh, you know all for some money <laughs> all for some wealth hmm yeah another happy song from you know but I mean it really is uplifting and you know the backing vocals at the end and everything it. You know, it makes you feel. You know, you feel it in your soul. It's and the piano. It's it's so well done yeah. for such a dark song. It actually, you know, makes you feel a bit good at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's next? Okay, so uh, we're on staying on the same album, and this is uh, the song "Blue Sky Mine." Some blistering harmonica, and it's such a defiant song. But um, yeah, the, this is um, just a, a song about Australia's worst industrial disaster ever, where um, a whole bunch of people were mining for blue asbestos in a country called, in a town called Wittenoom, and um, yeah, they started all dying of mesothelioma and um, getting cancer, lung cancer, and um, the company sort of knew this for about six years before they shut anything down. And uh, now this town is um, wiped off the map, and you cannot go there. The entire town has been uh, destroyed. So, yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's framed in the point of view of someone who needs to feed their family. You know, they're out in the middle of the outback, and there's not many jobs around, so they've got this job at this mine. It's a good good job. It's you know, it's feeding, it's putting food on the table, but it's killing you. Um, so you know, uh, it's yeah, it's it's. So tragic, and it's uh, like the line: "My gut is wrenched out, is crunched up and broken." That is, uh, you know, that is what asbestosis will do to your body. You know, it will make you feel like everything is broken inside, and it literally is. You're basically, you know, getting stabbed to death by the stuff that's killing you. Um, yeah, but it, it's sort of like um, I've worked this mine. I, I've 
my sweat has you know kept the engine fed um who's going to save me now that you know i'm dying um yeah no one's going to save you basically <laughs> you know there's been you know around 800 claims of people who um you know deals were made there's you know the whole we'll pay you this much if you shut up about it and don't mm-hmm. go in the media um it's hard to estimate that probably a thousand people died um this you died for your family <laughs> This song, if there was going to be a, a, a tr- like a crossover hit that was big in the U.S., it should have been this song. Um, yeah. Because unlike some of their other very heavy issues-related songs, this one is more universal. I mean, dealing with mining and dealing with disasters. And, like, I mean, the coal mining industry for generations and generations is huge. It's deeply embedded in the United States, in particular the Appalachian states. And people, whole families died for this. And it, was, it wasn't just a job, it was a lifestyle, it was a calling, it was something that they believed they were bringing energy to the country, to the world. They were keeping the lights on in America. And so many of them died from it because they were being poisoned because the companies were and then and then everybody starts saying, "Hey, this industry is terrible, you're killing the earth, you're destroying our world. this is poisonous, it's bad for your health, it's bad for the environment, you're doing all these things so this entire so, like the, this culture that grew up with this as their livelihood, as the backbone of their, their whole worldview, now feels like they are the ones being attacked, that they're being called the villains for working in the coal mm. industry. So, of course, there is this deep-rooted, hostile antagonism towards the environmental lobby. And it's, it, part of it is based on the corrupt and the greedy companies that have a financial stake in this. But they find very, very willing foot soldiers in the ground by people who feel like they're the ones being vilified and demonized for working these back-breaking, like, as you said, mesothelioma-inducing jobs to do this. And it's like, nobody ever said that you guys were the bad guys. You were being used, but we know Mm. better now, and we need to move away from this industry. And there's just this... uh, There was this resistance away from that, because they they don't want to. They don't want to, like, sacrifice what they've what they grew up believing their whole life was was the foundation of of their economy and their livelihood. So it's it, it's yeah, yeah. I, this this is a song that I think should have reached an American audience thirty years ago, um, and and maybe yeah. maybe something would have happened. But yeah, yeah. And the stunning thing is, I mean, this you know this all wrapped up two years before I was born, and I never heard about it anywhere until this song. Like this song is the only source of information I'd heard about this in my life, mm. and it's you know it's literally the worst industrial disaster in our country, and it's you know it's covered up, it's not talked about. Um, yeah, it's it's just insane that this happened and so many people died, and as blue asbestos mining, and it was owned by one of Australia's you know staple country uh, companies, which is CSR, um, the Colonial Sugar Refining Company. So we, you know we have sh- CSR sugar in our cupboard right now. Yeah. You know they own um, the the mining company that did this, and oh, it's it's terrible. It's terrible. But you know it's still you know what a great song, what a commercial song. It's so catchy yeah. and 
yeah, as you said, again, very catchy. I love the harmonica. Um, really good song. Uh, I watched the video, and Peter's dancing and is very on point in this. <laughs> we, we probably should talk about his dancing before the end of this. Oh, um, but yeah, I, the, the other thing I did want to mention, because this is the, the third song from Blue Sky Mining, and I mentioned that this is my, my favorite of their albums, because um, I also almost had Stars of Warburton and One Country on my list, too. So uh, oh, about, yeah. about half of the album I really considered uh, for my list. So this is, a, this is a good one. This yeah. is a really strong album on the whole. Yeah, one country was on my list for quite a while too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no. Well, let's talk about his dancing. He is a very <laughs> tall man. He has very long arms, and he dances like no one on earth. He dances like he's being electrocuted, doesn't he? <laughs> I. Oh, this is okay. So I forgive me. I do not mean to offend anybody, but the first time I saw him dancing, I was reminded of my uh, a nephew of mine who ha- has very severe autism. Um, and the way he his body would move when he was overstimulated, and that was my first comparison. I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Turn off the lights! Like, give this, give this guy something to like hold on to to, to settle him down." Um, it, it's it's crazy. It's this like you're you're right. It, it, he puts his full body into it, and it's not it's not organized, but there's a kind of organic fluidity to it that it seems like. It, it, you know, it just and when you stare at him, he's it's like he's concentrating on something, and you just think like he is a guy who just lives and dies on the music. He's like he's really into the guitar playing and the bass playing and like the the sounds that everybody is hearing. It's like it it, it affects him on a cellular level and makes him sort of <laughs> gyrate and move in these kind of spasmodic ways. It's, yeah, I mean, if the band has had any sort of logo, it's a, a hand with the fingers all splayed out, and that's you know that's what he does as he's dancing. He never ha- has his you know fists closed. His hands are always you know he's trying to make his body as big as he can when he dances. It's you know it's quite um, amazing. And when we saw them live, I took my wife to see them live once, and she could not stop laughing at his dancing the whole way through the concert. <laughs> you know, every time he moved, she thought it was hilarious. You know, she wasn't, you know, not the big Minato fan of, you know, you get used to it and you go, oh, this is what he does. But the first time you see it, it's just astounding. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. All right. We move on now to my last song of the list and their most recent song on the list. Um, This is from the new album that just came out a couple of months ago, right around the time we started prepping for this one. Uh, The new album, it's like kind of like a half album, a little bit more than an LP, or sorry, a little bit more than an EP. Um, The the album is called The Makarata Project, uh, and the song is Gadigal Land. Don't you bring your poison, don't you bring your drug, don't you bring your smallpox, shot to kill our mob, don't you bring your justice, don't you bring your jails, don't you bring your armies, troopers on our trails, so welcome to 
the album is another attempt to bring awareness to the struggles of the indigenous Aboriginal people. Uh, they're trying to help resolve this conflict with the Australian. You can probably correct me if I screw any of this up. This is just what I was researching. Yeah. Um, trying to help resolve the conflict with the Australian government by forming an accord called the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which seeks to establish kind of more open and honest communication between the government and the First Nation peoples and the islanders. Um, all the proceeds from this album are, are sent to, to help organizations that support this cooperation. The song itself features a number of guest voices, guest vocals, uh, Dan Sultan, Joel Davison, Kalina Briggs, and Bruna Laurie. Uh, the Gadigal people were the original dwellers of the land of Sydney, Australia. Um, a, a, there's a verse written in the, uh, the, the sort of language by a Gadigal poet, Joel Davison, who I mentioned. Um, it's a song, it's, it's a call for racial justice. Um, and kind of like bring this uh, the attention to this. Uh, it's a fairly scathing criticism of the settling of the place um, by the by the colonizing uh, and just taking the land. He says, "Don't bring poison. Don't bring armies. Don't bring convicts." Uh, all of these elements that have completely destabilized uh, and and threatened the natives since the British ships landed on the shore. Um. Aside from that, I mean, just for being, you know, their most recent, I mean, production-wise, it's, if you know nothing else about, like, the politics or what it is, it's it's a banger. It's a great rock song. I mean, they've got a horn section. They're just bringing out a lot of more into it. It's just, it's it's a, like, hard-charging rocker. Yeah, it's 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 one of the proudest songs about the shame of a nation I've ever heard. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah I was, I was Again, so speaking of, he's, he brings the ironic touch to it, yeah, with the Welcome to Gadigal Land. Yeah. Yeah, I was so pleased you picked this because it really is – it's brand new to me, this one. You know, it's, it's only a few months old and, you know, I've been listening to it and go, oh. And for you to go through their entire catalogue and pick something that is, you know, hot off the press is, you know, really impressive and, you know, speaks to how vibrant and relevant the band still is, you know, as a musical entity, as, you know, as songwriters and stuff. So, yeah, the whole album is um, not for profit. So everything, every dollar that the band makes goes to um, this U- Uluru statement from the heart. Now, Uluru. Um, so people know a few things about Australia. One thing you know, you know, the Sydney Harbour Bridge, the Opera House, you know, with the the white sails, and um, this great big red rock in the middle, which is um, Ayers Rock. Um, mm-hmm. But that's also called Uluru. That's what the um, oh. Indigenous Australians call it. So that's Uluru. Oh, I didn't know so it was the same thing. Okay. You know, yeah, it's symbolic of the heart of um, Indigenous Australia. Um, so this, the statement from the heart was about we want to have fair representation in our parliaments, and you know we want to have an Aboriginal body that's embedded in our parliament to help with decision making, so that it's fair and just for Indigenous Australians. Um, so this song, it really goes through all the stuff that's happened in Australia since it was colonised back in 1788. We're a pretty young country. So, um, you know, I was I was alive when we had the 200-year anniversary of living in Australia as, as white people. Um, yeah, but one of the things that... Uh, Ayers Rock was sort of given back to the Indigenous people at some point, so they have control over it. And one of the things they said is... You know, to us, Ayers Rock is a church. You know, it represents something deeply, you know, uh, sacred to our people. And you always have these bloody tourists climbing on it and taking photos on top of it. You know, <laughs> so in October last uh, 2019, they said no more climbing on Ayers Rock. Um, so 
you know, it said, and they had signs up for years saying, you know, please don't climb this. It's kind of, you know, offensive to us that you do it. And, you know, so when they said from October 26, you cannot climb on the rock anymore legally, all these fuckwits would, you know, I've got to get to Ayers Rock and climb it before they mean, it means I can't. You know, so we had yeah, politicians yeah, who can't, you know, walk up a tenth of it trying to do it, you know, in high heels and stuff like that. And, you know, I knew people at work who were like, I'm taking the family over there so we can do it. And it's just... Yeah, okay. bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Anyway, yeah. So I mean, that's sort of become a flashpoint for Australians, and the, you know, they released a um, an inquiry paper into you know. So we had in Australia, we had the Stolen Generation, which were Aboriginal kids who were taken from their parents and raised by white people to try and you know civilize them. Um, so families were literally broken up. I mean, the good thing is this doesn't happen today anymore, um, but it's, in Australia, it was happening. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sorry, they're being very cynical about um, <laughs> our countries. Um, and, you know, Kevin Rudd was the first Australian Prime Minister ba- to basically say, we're sorry that this happened. It was wrong and we did wrong. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, that was a step they couldn't take. A lot of, you know, Prime Ministers were told, you should take that step and say sorry. Um, and before um, it was done officially as a, you know, we are sorry that this happened to you and it wasn't right. You know, Midnight Oil performed at the Sydney Olympics when we had the Olympic Games, and they all had sorry written on their shirts, you know, <laughs> because the the government wouldn't say it, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and at the moment we have a, you know, it's growing in, you know, uh, intensity, but we have a, uh, we celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January, which is, you know, the um, anniversary of when, you know, white people landed in the country. Um, and... Aboriginals have been saying to us, this is really offensive that we celebrate it. Like, to us, it's Invasion Day. You know, yeah. you've made it a day about, you know, having beer and watching the cricket and, you know, say, hey, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. But um, to us, it's offensive. It, you know, it, it's bitter and we, sh- we, you know, can we not make it this day? And so that's one of the controversies now is, you know, can we not have this day that's the day we celebrate being Australian, you know, because it's also, it's representative of the tragedy that happened to our people. Right. So, you know, that's something that's still being resolved. So that, you know, there is a lot of people trying to move the date, you know, saying that, you know, we celebrate the Queen's birthday on a day that isn't the Queen's birthday. So what does it matter what day we say is Australia Day? It can be any day, but let's not have it on this day that, you know, upsets, you know, 30% of Australia's population. Um <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, this is this is what this song's about, and it's really good. It, you know, it's a yeah. I, there's life in the soul, so, you know, in the old band yet, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I got the translation of what the guy is saying in native language in the middle, and yeah, it, um, can I just read it? It says, sure, yeah, um, yeah. "Take pity on my bad pronunciation." Uh, they told us they were sorry. Listen. But I think they made a mistake because for a long time they stole my speech and family. See, our stars are now further away. Always will be Gadigal land. So, uh, yeah, you know, it was illegal to speak um, indigenous languages for, um, you know, indigenous people for quite a long time. And, you know, you couldn't raise your own kids and things like that, you know. So that is a, you know, a devastating thing to inflict on a people and, uh-huh. you know, expect them to just recover. Like, you know, people always say, why can't they adapt to our society? And, you know, um, it's just injustice. <laughs> it's wrong. But I, I love we, it. I, the song it's, where it it's, says, it's not unique to Australia. We, we, we have no, comparable histories. Yeah, I love at the end where every all these other, you know, welcome to other lands like mm. Wiridjuri and Yorta Yorta and Murning and Garija, you know, uh, like 
all of us, but like the the cover to the single had all the alternate la- indigenous labels for all the land of Australia on it, and um, you know it's just yeah, this land belonged to other people before we rocked up and said you know we declared we literally declared it terra nullis and said no one owns this land, um, Britain can have it, uh, you know which is you know a bit a bit bad for the people who already lived here, but um, that's what we're done. Yeah, samezies. Yeah, <laughs> been there. Yeah. All right, so we got one more song to cover, so take it away. What what is the last one on your list? Well, this is uh, "Who Can Stand in the Way" from Red Sails in the Sunset, which was 1984, I believe. Yes, 1984. Yeah. So uh, let's listen. Just one thing. Just one thing. Just one thing. And I just one thing, and I just one thing, and I just one thing, and I just one thing. Who can stand in the way when there's a dawn to be made? Who can stand in the way? When there's a dollar to be made Take precious moments, precious few But when that dollar's more than me and you It's a joy I forget Such a joy to forget But we killed all our first born We slashed and we burned And we sold off the paddocks and we rate and we gouge on the wings of a six pack that we ever learned. So it, it's got that sort of uh, bassy build, etc., uh, that other songs have. Um, and, and yeah, the opening choruses and uh, lines and um, verses and that it's basically saying something is off, something is wrong. And he says, "There's just one thing. There's just one thing." And it's like, who can stand in the way when there's a dollar to be made? Um, and, you know, this is in, I feel like this is intrinsic to their message. Like they're saying, you know, just because you can make a buck from something doesn't mean it's good to do. Like you, you're literally destroying the country. And it ties it back to the invasion of Australia. Like I was hanging around off Dobroyd Point. That's one of the points of Sydney Harbour um, when the first fleet chain sailed in. Um, and so we just carried on. We, you know, we just kept the country going. Um and then it goes to modern day and, you know, saying we're chopping down everything, we're building everything, you know, we're spreading our cities out, um, we're industrialising, um, we're, we've got stuff on TV to distract you, but really what we're doing is destroying the planet in the name of making a buck. Um, yeah, and it, I, I just love the emphasis of there's just one thing, there's just one thing. Um, yeah, what, how did you feel about this song? So I only had one note for this song, one line that I wrote down, which is, might be my favorite song from Paul's list, and then several question marks. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and yet, I also find it a little weird, like it kind of sounds like a couple of different songs kind of lumped together, like it it feels like sort of segmented at places, like the ending um, it's 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 unusual song, but something about it, I, I particularly like the 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 way the song ends and kind of comes together. I like it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, to me, I mean, I think this has the most powerful lyrics ever written by Midnight Oil, where it says, um, 
where it says, it's the joy of forgetting, that's such a joy to forget, that we killed all our firstborn, we slashed and we burned, we sold off the paddocks, and we raped and we gouged on the wings of a six-pack, will we ever learn? That's, that is <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> you know, it's basically, you know, we've done so many terrible things that it's a joy to forget what we've done, um, you know, and we have basically sold out the future of our children because, you know, for the from profit now, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like someone said, yeah, sure, we, you know, destroyed the planet with climate change, but we had some really good few years for the stock, you know, the stock market. <laughs> you know, it was all worth it. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it ends with this, you know, little bit of him just speaking about how, um, you know, the the desert basically crashed in on Sydney and wiped everything out, and then we realised it was too late. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when when the emus were, were grazing on Sydney Harbour. <laughs> yeah, we don't have emus on Sydney Harbour normally. We have them out in the desert, so, yeah. But, um, you know, I think, you know, this is a good one to end on because, you know, Midnight Oil have always tried to stand in the way of people making a dollar for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know, they've always, you know, they've always made the stand. They've always made the tough call. They've always, you know, Peter Garrett, you know, quit the band for a few years and got into politics and served as an Australian senator and, you know, tried to make a difference and, you know, served with the Greens Party and then served with the Labor Party. You know, he was the Minister for the Environment and things like that, you know. And I think, you know, he got smeared, he got, you know, stitched up, you know, uh, things like that. But, you know, he tried, you know, mm-hmm. he's done it. He's, you know, he put his monies where his mouth is and, you know, he's, you know, one of the most successful bands in Australia and the guy quit to become a politician for 10 years, uh-huh. you know. And the band kept going in the background. And that's the thing that like, the band waited for him. And, you know, I think that says it all about this band is, you know, they, you know, they'll try one way and they'll try another way, but they'll never stop trying to make the world better. Mm. Yes. As we wrap it up, I mean, again, like, I, I didn't know this band a couple of months ago. Like, I had never heard any of these songs. Uh, and I'm just, I'm really, really glad that you suggested this because. I've enjoyed listening to these. I, I'm, I'm glad that I just I found this band that is so passionate about these causes. That is, a, you know, the, the soundtrack for social justice warriors, as you said, um, and, and carrying this banner that is overtly political and progressive and angry about it and and pissed off about the greed and the corruption and the ails that are, are destroying the world and ruining it for the next generations and, and the history that we've lost, but isn't like, isn't amateurish about it because it's a really, really good band on a technical level. I mean, you t- you mentioned the lyrics are really well crafted. Um, they're, they're clear. They're focused. The band is tight. The drums are rattling. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good band. And this is, you know, I, I'm going to keep listening to more of their stuff, and I'm going to come back to this them occasionally. You know, like this is this is going to be this will find its way into my my regular rotations as I'm listening to music. I'll have days where you know I'm going to go back. I'm going to listen to you know Blue Sky Mining again, or I'm going to listen to you know I don't want to be the one just to wake me up in the morning when I'm working out or something like that. It, it's you know a good one to to run to or to pedal to. So this was fun. <laughs> I, I'm really glad that you introduced me to this because this was a a very worthy and very uh, special uh, discovery. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad you had me on to do this. Yeah. yeah. And to think, I used to make you read Night Force comics. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
All right, Paul. Speaking of that, where can people find you if they want to hear more from you in the podcastosphere? Um, I do DC OCD about DC events, um, so that's a lot of fun, and you've participated in that a little bit, and I do that with Mike Garvey, my um, podcasting soulmate, partner. Um, I also do Waiting for Doom about the Doom Patrol. We're on a little bit of a break right now, but we should be coming back soon. There'll be some more Doom Patrol news soon, I imagine. And we also do The Gary Show, where we talk about sort of non-comic, whatever we want to talk about stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's what I have going on. All right, very, very cool. Um, thank you very much for doing this. Great to talk to you, as always. Folks, Fire & Water Records is a proud part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, as well as Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. You can also support the show by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a nice five-star review. Every review for Fire & Water Records helps push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes and no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. Let's give it back. 